0: Last week was Gospels 1. This is part 2. The long title is Four Gospels, One Story. And this is Gospels 2 The Baptism of Jesus. We saw in the previous story of the Gospels, which was about John's baptism of repentance, that the four Gospels were written by four different men of different temperaments and backgrounds who wrote from different perspectives and at different times. This means that there were variations in detail and emphasis in the narratives, and there were certain gaps in some Gospels that end up being filled by other Gospels. Fortunately, in the previous sermon, the starting point in all the Gospels was John's baptism. They all agreed on that and started off with it. and When you start off with something and you say, this is the foundation, this sets the way forward, that's called a, a data point or data point, a point of convergence. This is where it all starts. Well, they all got that together. But after that event, there comes variation as to what happens next. And that gets more complex as the gospel story unfolds. And we realize, and it's been confirmed, that the writers of the gospels were not dedicated to a chronological order of events. Commentators are astoundingly at odds with one another, with the order of the events as well. So I'm having my own shot at presenting an order, and attempting to give logical reasons. There's more logic than revelation in this, I tell you. As the stories themselves, they bring their own revelation. So I'll let the Word of God speak to our hearts about the Holy Spirit, but I'll be doing something to try and get a logic of chronology. And we will let the gospel tell us about Jesus, about the Father, and about the Holy Spirit. And I'll explain as I go on how I'm putting the order of things together. Feel free to email me if you've got ideas or to disagree or discuss, because I stopped being infallible about 30 years ago. And now all I can do is submit. And what I'm submitting here is logic, so I want to submit this, but I am just so compelled to want to do this, because the story is beautiful. One thing I can say is, the Gospels all start in exactly the same way with John's baptism, and they all end in the same way, <laughs> with Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. So it's just the middle, okay? So now, right now, in this next story about the baptism of Jesus, We'll see the same individual perspectives in different gospels. But there's one gospel that appears to set the logical data point or the logical pattern of events that come after the baptism of Jesus. And it's John's gospel. And even though John did not put all the other things in chronological order, he starts this off and locks us into something, which is a sequence of events. And I'll read from John chapter 1, verse 26, talking about John the Baptist, who said to everybody, I baptize with water, but there's one here you do not know about, and he will come to you after me, and I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day, now here is an interesting thing. John here talks about Jesus being baptized, and then he says the next day. So you're compelled by logic to follow what's he going to tell us about the next day. And that was the interesting point I came to. Points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the one I was talking about. This man ranks before me because he existed before me, and I didn't know him. But I was sent to baptize with water so that he would be revealed to Israel. And then John testified, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. God who sent me to baptize with water said to me, that one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So John is now ready to testify. He says, And I have seen... And I now testify that this is the Son of God. So John is putting himself in the picture there, John the Baptist. And so John the Apostle, writing the Gospel, goes on to talk about it. And he goes down to verse 35 and he says, The next day, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as Jesus walked along. And John said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples, they were John, Baptist's, John the Baptist disciples, they heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So John's disciples following Jesus locks in a series of day-after-day events starting with the phrase, the next day. We'll hear that now when I get back into John's gospel. However, the supernatural appearance of the Holy Spirit as a dove descending upon the head of Jesus features in all the gospel stories about the baptism of Jesus. So we're, they're all in agreement on that. What John said here, I saw the dove, it's what Matthew says, That's what Mark says, That's what Luke says, so that's all okay. But the other three gospels, apart from John, appear to indicate that the very next thing that happens after his baptism is that he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. I've always thought, that's fine. Three against one sort of thing, because John doesn't mention that. However, the Gospel of John alone mentions that certain other events after the baptism of Jesus take place before Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So I'm going to read on in that Gospel. But it's interesting to note that when we read Matthew's account of the baptism of Jesus and the mention of the dove of the Spirit alighting upon him, we read in the next verse in Matthew that Jesus was then led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Well, you'd think, there he goes, gets out of the water. But I looked at these Greek words for then because they all have some kind of an indication about something else happening. And the Greek word for then is. Cote, which can mean sometime after that. Thank you. (laughs) So the event of the baptism of Jesus and the sometime after that reference makes room for other things to have happened to Jesus between those two major events. And when we read Mark's account of Jesus' baptism and the dove alighting upon his head, it would appear that Jesus arises out of the water and strides directly into the wilderness because Mark uses the Greek word euthys which the King James translates as immediately. Hello? Is there a disagreement here, a contradiction? But anyway, when you look at that word euthys, E-U-T-H-Y-S, it ranges from, in its meaning, forthwith, which is pretty close, to by and by. By and by, Jesus went into the wilderness. Also, this makes room for other things to perhaps have happened to Jesus between the two major events. He gets baptized and goes into the wilderness. The reality is that between those events of Jesus being baptized and the dove appearing and then going into the wilderness, there were some very significant things that did occur. And it's graphically portrayed in the Gospel of John, which is what well, using as the main text, where he describes some other events that happened at the Jordan River. Where the baptism took place. And then we see a number of next day statements. So we've got to stick with that. Next day statements before Jesus could have gone into the wilderness for 40 days. So I'm going to read on in John again, chapter one, and I'll, I'll reread what I said about John the Baptist with his disciples. The next day, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as Jesus walked along. John said, Look, the Lamb of God, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, saw them following, and said to them, What are you seeking after? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus said to them, Come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, that's four o'clock in the afternoon, so there's the next day. He hasn't gone into the wilderness. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, who first went to find his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we've found the Messiah, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So we see here the first significant event to take place before Jesus goes into the wilderness, that he starts gathering disciples from John, actually. John the Baptist is still present at the river baptizing people. So we now continue reading in John, in verse 43. The next day, so we're locked into this now in John, because he's telling us this is what happened then the next day, and now is the next day. The next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee. It says he decided to go into Galilee, so he would have started walking to Galilee. Now, the baptism occurred in Judea, down south of Galilee, a place called Bethabara. So if Jesus is going to go to Galilee, he's going to have to walk alongside the Lake of Galilee, that's where the Jordan is, along the beach, if you like, right up to the land of what we call Galilee of the Gentiles, up where Jesus lived. And it says, On the way he found Philip that day and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida. That was up the top end of Galilee. But there would have been all of these people gathering to follow John, watching him do the baptisms. And now Jesus is there as the focal point. So then Andrew and Peter and Philip, the three of them, they start recruiting. It says they went looking for Nathaniel, and they said to him, We've found him, whom Moses in the law, as well as the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And by this stage, they're walking up towards Galilee, because he said, I'm going to go up to Galilee. And so he's heading up, and people are getting gathered. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael. When he came to him, he said to him, Here is an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip went to get you, when you are under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Nathanael joins the other disciples on the trek from the baptism area at the Jordan, heading northward. They're getting well into Galilee. And John then writes about another significant event that was to happen Before Jesus would get to go into the wilderness, and that was to go to a wedding feast at Cana in Galilee. That's midway up into Galilee. Now, that's the end of that chapter. We read now in the next verse that comes John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, so we've had our next day and next day, and now it says, On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And you think, Okay, well, they did a lot of walking in three days, and perhaps it, it all did happen in three days. But when you look at the phrase, and this is, I have purposely been meticulous about looking at every phrase that may be, bring some light on whether the thing is right, or bring a shadow and say, that doesn't fit. So I looked at the phrase, on the third day. And that's used 11 times in all those Gospels, and it's sometimes translated after three days, which we know, after three days. So whether it was right on the day, at midday, on the third day, or after three days, at least we know they're heading north, and this is a day on which there is a wedding. And we read on, they're at a wedding. Well, the mother of Jesus was there, Mary. And Jesus came to the wedding, bringing his new disciples with him. Now, isn't that interesting? And the story moves along, not at a fast pace. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, Son, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this mean for you and me? In fact, what Jesus said to her in the straight narrative Greek is what does this have to do with me? But that's broken down because the commentators realize that Jesus spoke gently to his mother, and the way of speaking really was more along the lines of, What has this got to do with or what does this mean for you and me? So he was he was actually saying to his mother, So what are you saying that for? What does this mean? My time has not yet come. Jesus said, My hour is not yet come. Are you asking me to do something, mum, before I'm ready? His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. So Mary does not command Jesus to do anything in particular. Actually, she says, she said, Do as my son tells you. If we could all obey that, we'd be doing well. So she's prompted, though, to mention the obvious need that was there and then leave everything in God's hands. Now, God the Father was right in the midst of all of this, and so was the Holy Spirit, who may have prompted Mary to make that comment. They've run out of wine. And Mary would also have fully understood Jesus making his comment about the meaning of this and that his time had not yet come. She'd know what he meant. Now, Now, the Holy Spirit knew that Jesus would ask the Father, as Jesus had yet to go through the temptation in the wilderness, and he could see something coming up whereby he would defeat darkness and then embark on his ministry of power in the kingdom of God. But this was different. John says a few verses down, verse 11, that this was the first of the signs that Jesus did. In other words, it was ordained of the Father. It was ordained as a sign. What this reveals to me, basically, and this is not just logic, this is the nature and character of Jesus is that he waited to hear what the Father was going to say, and sometimes he just thought, I'd better pause and stop thinking ahead and let the Father tell me what this means here right in front of me now. You know, that'd be a wonderful way to live. That's how we hear God a lot of the time. But we're thinking, we're allowed to think ahead. Jesus only did what the Father said. We go on about the wedding feast, and it describes the water jars. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding at least 80 litres. It's a lot of wine. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, although the servants, it says in the scripture here, the servants who had drawn the water knew, they were watching. The master of the feast then called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine till now. Now we get to that verse 11 that I mentioned earlier. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. There's a lot of purpose and meaning in that. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Jesus is not in a hurry. He waits for his father to speak. We will see that more and more as we read the Gospels. But the sign or the miracle of the changing of the water into wine is a clear sign that the supernatural ministry of Jesus had begun. But there's another sign that can be seen in the story of the earthen vessels. We can see that the six earthen water vessels can speak of the fact that the first earthen vessel of humanity was created out of the earth on the sixth day of God's creation. And you've got six vessels. It speaks of humanity. We also see that these six water vessels were ordinarily used for ritual cleansing with water. That's what John the Baptist was doing, cleansing. But he said, there's somebody else with a better baptism than me. So the six water vessels ordinarily used for ritual cleansing are now going to be used for the outpouring of the new wine of the Spirit. So this sign also highlights John the Baptist's remarks when he said, I indeed baptize you with water, but he who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's just a beautiful little exclamation mark because he then goes and does it the water into the wine. It's also interesting that the first sign of the ministry of Jesus was at a wedding, and the last sign of Jesus, I believe, will be from heaven and will also involve the marriage of Jesus with his church as his bride. You can read that in the Scriptures. Ephesians 5, verse 27 speaks about his preparing of the bride (laughs) that he can present to himself at the end. There's a lot in that. Now, what about us? What does this mean for us? Jesus had just shown that he was the earthen vessel that contained the new wine of the Spirit of God. God and man, he was the earthen vessel. He was the Adam of the earth, now the last Adam, the life giving spirit born from above. And he would now go deep into the wilderness for 40 days to overcome the power of darkness. You then return in the power of the kingdom of God to Nazareth, because we'll see that that is very clear that after he came through the testing in the wilderness that he walked back home on his own actually, doing signs and wonders, overcoming healing and doing miracles he'd overcome the power of darkness and he comes to Nazareth to preach in the synagogue. we'll look at that next time, perhaps, but he's saying to us through that story, that we also are not just earthen vessels filled with the cleansing water. We do have the cleansing water of the Word, but that through Him we can confidently be aware of ourselves as water always being changed into wine. It is always happening. We mostly see ourselves mm-hmm. as just water. We want to have the cleansing of the water, but God says I want to see yourselves more now, be more aware and conscious of the fact that you're the new wine. You're being transformed. You are now the miracle person that's been born from above. Now we're going to live a different life because of that, aren't we? So we are always this miracle at Canaan. It takes faith for us to realize that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. When we initially embrace the Holy Spirit and receive Him using that word of re-embrace Him. That takes faith, and it takes faith to know that we can be always ready to pour out of His life-giving Spirit to a needy and disordered world around us. So that was a sign, and for us it is an encouragement. We've been filled with the Spirit. We're being changed from water to wine. Every moment, that we want to exercise our faith and say, Lord, fill me again. Keep being filled with the Spirit. And not only that, keep being poured out to the world around you. It's there to be done. Amen.